The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from the Divine Intelligence Institute, committed to awakening the God within. Make God a presence inside that you can activate rather than a person up in the sky that you worship. Find out your spiritual IQ at divineintelligenceinstitute.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. David Kessler. Dr. Kessler is a pediatrician who served as commissioner of the FDA under two presidents, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, and was dean of both Yale and UC San Francisco's medical schools. He is the author of A Question of Intent and the New York Times bestseller, The End of Overeating. A review of his new book, Capture, Unraveling the Mystery of Mental Suffering, appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. David Kessler, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you for having me. So, fascinating book, and I want to jump right into it so we don't bump up against the end of the 20 minutes we have together. The book explores why human beings are driven to behave in ways that work against our physical and mental well-being. So the title capture sort of says it all. Somehow, for positive, you know, for good or ill, our brains are captured in in some way that makes us do whatever it is we do, and it's beyond our rational control. So so tell us a little bit about this capture theory. The... It can be summed up in sort of why do I seek out those things that make me crazy? Why do I do things that I don't want to be doing? There's a narrowing of attention. Something important is some change in my environment. Something is unique. A bear walks into the room. There's a sound. Someone says my name uh, at a uh, at a you know a cocktail party. But it's not just something different. It could be something meaningful. My child uh, swims across the pool. It can be positive, but it could also be negative. Why am I a failure? I'm really no good, right? I will never amount to anything. And we seize upon these ideas, these ideas that are salient and we can't shake them. And most importantly, you know, it's not just our attention being seized by these ideas, but they change how we feel, either positively or negatively. And we have no control over it. I mean, I can see that when the bear walks in the room, I don't want to have to think about it. I want to jump out the window, or get out the door, get out of the room. That, that's got to be an evolutionarily valuable trait. But why is it the same with I'm a failure? Well, you know, is it that I don't have con- complete control? I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a, a grown-up. I'm an adult. I should be able to control myself, what I think, how I feel. But there's an element when something seizes my attention, at least initially, right? 
that happens with a degree of automaticity that's not volitional. But then there's certainly a moment where, I mean, I could change what I think about. I could redirect my attention. But sometimes it's very powerful stimulus, uh, and uh, that moment uh, of volition slips away. So you have this notion in the book. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you because you say it better than I could restate it. Uh, You write, I believe that capture is the instinctive process by which we wrest a narrative from our disordered surroundings. And therein lies the challenge. Though capture permits us to make sense of the world, it does so largely outside rational thought. These stories then, the stories of our lives, do not always feel like the ones we intended to tell. So are, are the stories false or they're just... Crazy stories that somehow we latch onto them? They were meaningful. They were, uh, they're salient, right? They're not necessarily something I consciously decided, this is the narrative that I want to live by. But these are the result of experiences. And experiences that are cumulative throughout a lifetime. They may have started when I was two or four or 13 or 15, but likely to be the result of all those experiences, right? That build upon uh, the next experience and the next. But is the story true or is it just a story? Well, you know, um, that's an existential question, right? I, I, um, it is my interpretation of the world, right? Um, it is, um, I'm telling you that I'm no good, that I'm never going to amount to anything, that everything I do, I mess up. You may look at me and say I am successful, but I will tell you that's how I feel, that's how I interpret the world. So this, and this... I, it may not be how I want to feel, right? but it's the way I feel. So let me see if I can make a connection, because in my mind, I made a connection between your new book, Capture, and the prior book, The End of Overeating. In the end of what I got away, you know, we, you and I talked uh, when, uh, about this book once before, when the book has came out at a Nashville conference at the public library. And one of the takeaways I got from that conversation was that human beings are evolutionarily designed to crave sugar, fat, and salt, and that many food companies build on that and use those ingredients to addict us to their products. So I'm wondering if there's a connection, not that there's some cabal out there, you know, while you're fast asleep, they're sending you subliminal messages through your phone. You are a failure. You are, you know, I'm not saying that so they can, you know, so they can sell you some product, but is there, is there some you know, we're building on something that's evolutionary and evolutionarily necessary, biologically necessary. And yet somehow the systems in which we live, the capitalist system in which we live, pushes it to an extreme uh, in, in a way that's detrimental to our, our mental health and physical health. What is it, what is it about that sugar, fat and salt? Because it's not just restricted to sugar, fat and salt. You know, that bear that walks into the room, that can affect how I feel. Right? What my child says or what my mother says to me, that can affect how I feel. So anything that can affect how I feel can become salient, can become meaningful, can seize my attention. Now, sugar, 
you know, can give me this high. I mean, if I'm repetitively eating it and I'm, you know, binging away and I'm in that state, nothing else matters. Two minutes later, I go, why did I eat that? Right. But, but it's very powerful. But it's not the only stimulus in our environment that can change how we feel. I mean, anything that is meaningful or important right, or that can affect how I feel can capture my attention automatically. Sugar, fat, and salt are just examples. Right. There, are things, there are things that are equally powerful, if not more powerful. Right? I mean, what's depression? You are right. I started off by trying to figure out, you know, why does someone pick up a cigarette and smoke 780,000 more? Right. What was it about that cigarette? And then why does that chocolate chip cookie have such power over me? And then I started asking, what is it about depression? What is it? This seizing on the negative, no matter how positive you know, uh, things can be or interpret on, of all the stimuli, my attention focuses on the negative. And the things that I focus on that are negative are going to make me feel bad. And then I focus on feeling bad and I get caught in this cycle. It's not just where my attention goes. It's how my attention affects how I feel and how I get caught in this loop right, that uh, brings me to focus on certain things automatically. And, and, and again, we have no control over that, ultimately. It's not, you know, I think that's, that's a little bit simplistic. Certainly there's a feeling of a loss of control, right? I mean, if you ask somebody who's depressed, if you ask someone who's suffering, right, and you just simply say, you have control to shake it, why don't you just focus on something else? I mean, I mean, that is the worst thing you can say to that person. Why don't you, if you say to me, look, Kessler, just stop eating those chocolate chip cookies. It's not, and it's not that I have no control, but these other forces are just very powerful and they make me feel like I have a loss of control because it does seize my attention. These are powerful stimuli. I mean, they do affect how I feel. Um, and in some ways, they, they do hijack their, those neural circuits. Now, I, you know, there are tools I, I, that I can have I mean, to walk away, and, and there are things I can do to exert control. But you are right. I mean, if, you know, if Freud got anything right, I mean, there is an unconscious, and things happen outside of our perception. And this is what, what are the key aspects of what happens outside of our, our perception. It's how our attention gets hijacked. You, you write in the book, actually, quite near the end of the book, you say the power to will, however, is not enough to sustain change. I, I think that you know, people think that they can, can and should, or, or as you just said, people will say this to other people. You should just be able to will yourself to be different. But this is operating on a much deeper level than that. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. 
experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. I think that's right. But there is a power to change how we feel. I mean, look at, um, look at how people exert change. I mean, look at AA, for example. I mean, how does it work? AA, in essence, the person, it's not just a matter of willpower, but you go, you join this fellowship, you, something becomes more meaningful to you than drinking sobriety, the, 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 the fellowship, right? the way you perceive you know, alcohol. That used to be my friend, now it's my enemy. So you change the valence, you change how you perceive the stimulus. It used to be positively valence, now it's negatively valence. Is that just a question of will? Or you really have to come to perceive the, the stimulus and how that stimulus makes you feel, it has to be altered. So it's not, it's not a simple process. But the last thing I want to leave you with is the impression is that you can't, you can't change because you can. So let's let's talk about you know the opposite of capture I guess would be release. So let's let's talk about that for a second. When I was reading the book, I kept thinking of uh, Herbert Benson, Doctor Herbert Benson. His his studies on meditation are I don't know back in the seventies, but at the Harvard Med School at the Harvard right? Medical School, right? So you know he wrote the relaxation response and beyond the relaxation response, and I remember. I don't know if it was in a book or just I, I was in a lecture with him. He gave the analogy of a vinyl record. So obviously this is a dated analogy, though vinyl is coming back into vogue. And he said that what happens to us is our our brains go over the same story over and over and over again, the way a needle gets stuck in a groove and it digs a deeper hole and can't get out. But that meditation is a way to lift the needle out of that uh, groove and allow the the rest of the record to play itself out. You do mention meditation in, in the book. What, what's your sense of that? Do you, is that a tool that, that would be helpful? Certainly. You know, the question is, how does it work? I mean, his grooves are neural. Today, we understand that those grooves are neural circuits that get formed over a lifetime uh, in our brain. So we understand the biology. We understand how we get stuck in those and how we get triggered to fall back into those grooves. You know, there's still a lot about meditation that we don't know. Right? I mean, is it in fact um, just um, uh, the... Um, the, the, the sort of reduction in emotional reactivity. Is that what meditation um, helps me do? So I don't get as triggered, uh, then I'm able to uh, achieve a certain degree uh, of calm. Or is in fact meditation, does it allow me to achieve something that is more important than that uh, being in that groove? I mean, am I substituting something else or am I just, in essence, cooling down the stimulus? And I don't know the answer to that, but it certainly could be very powerful. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, just for, for what it's worth, I think that the notion of cooling down the stimulus is, is I mean, I've seen some of the, uh, the brain studies on what happens, Andrew Newberg's work with, you know, this is your brain on meditation. And it, and it seems to be that cooling down of a stimulus or a, 
warming up of a different stimulus. But, but, but that's, that's, you just hit the um, nail on the, on the head because in essence, I mean, is the way I change, I mean, can I just simply cool down the stimulus or do I have to find something that substitutes for that? Now, maybe not directly. See, I don't think we can ever be completely free of capture. I mean, capture, you know, it, there's a lot of positivity to capture. I mean, whether it's uh, uh, seeking, you know, social justice, uh, equality, uh, caring about other people. Imagine life where I didn't have the positive aspects of capture, that there was nothing that gave me true meaning, true joy, right, that captured my attention. I want those positive aspects, right? But... The, the mechanism is neutral. And the fact is I could be captured by negative things or I could be captured by positive things. And I think that probably in the end, the best way to change is to find something, right, instead of that negatively captures me, that substitutes that positively captures me. So, so that brings me to uh, the notion of ideology. And you have a whole chapter on, on capture and ideology. I'm thinking of... You know, not just the the recent election and the way America is is seems to be, you know, two ideological camps at war with another with one another, and you have Islamic extremism and in Israel Jewish extremism, and these things are all driven by ideologies. It's it sounds that being captured by an ideology is really no different than being captured by any other story. I think in the end, that's right. You know, the, the, you know, and you talk to scholars, you talk to therapists, you talk to health professionals, you you, you talk um, to theologians, and the fact is, you know, that for many people, being captured by something outside of the, themselves helps them right, um, give meaning to their life to find something outside of them that is more uh, positive um, that. Uh, that gives um, a sense of purpose. The problem, and I think we have to recognize, is that it's possible to be captured by something outside of yourself, an ideology that is not necessarily positive, but also can be highly destructive. Well, that's the story of religion. I mean, you could look at religion from the perspective of capture and say, you know, sometimes religion captures you for the good and sometimes it captures you for evil. But imagine a world where we weren't designed this way. Right? Or, or if I said to you, here, let's, let's uh, try to explain the world. I know that's a big task, right? And I told you that human beings had, were designed, right? I mean, as part of their species, as part of the evolution, we had this mechanism where we focused on certain things that were salient. And things that were salient are things that, they're personal, right? What's salient for you may not be salient for me. And, and they, they, what becomes salient is something that results from a lifetime of experience. What would, you, what would you say the world would look like? Some people are gonna be captured Right. Uh, by walking across that bridge. Some people are going to be captured by something that somebody said to them 
today or the fact that they haven't achieved something or that they don't amount to something. Some people are going to be captured by money, some by power, some by an ideology. And the important thing is to see how attention gets grabbed and most importantly, to understand how powerful the force is because at the very root, I mean, this, these grooves, these, you know, in this vinyl record that you uh, mentioned is the metaphor. It's not that we just get stuck in that, those grooves, but we don't go out of those grooves because to do so would, you know, affect how we feel. It's a very powerful force, but it does. When you look at the world, you say, boy, I mean, it really does explain a lot of it. We are right up against the end, but I just want to ask you one last thing with this. If I know I'm captured, does that give me an opportunity to at least assess whether this is for good or for evil? You know, I, 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 we, we always believe, I mean, in self-knowledge, right? I mean, is something that is good, right? Because then I'm, you know, the first step of being able to get out of myself and get out of this state is once you can see what captures you, once you see what triggers you, once you see what uh, makes you feel a certain way, even if you didn't want to feel that way, that gives you at least the opportunity to say, boy, I mean, is that who I want to be and can I affect that? So I think understanding the mechanism does provide hope. That is a perfect place to end. And your book does help us understand the mechanism. So really, thank you for that. Our guest today was Dr. David Kessler. A review of his new book, Capture, Unraveling the Mystery of Mental Suffering, appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. David, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Support for today's show comes from the Divine Intelligence Institute, committed to awakening the God within each of us. Rather than a person up in the sky, make God a presence inside of you that you can activate. Discover your spiritual IQ at divineintelligenceinstitute.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.